Good day, my name is Myra Thomas, and I'm editor with Bank Automation News. Recently, I had a chance to speak with Hemel Nagarshev, associate partner at Carney, a global management consultancy firm. In this role, Hemel is a senior leading leader in the financial institutions group, advising executives on banking and payment topics at leading organizations spanning networks, banks, central banks, industry consortia, and retailers. Hamill's been with Carney for over 10 years and is focused on supporting firms globally to bring new products to market, drive execution of large programs, and improve operational efficiency. Hamill particularly focuses on the intersection of technology and innovation with banking and payments. Thanks for joining us, Hamill. Recently, Carney released a report that notes that banks have a hard time knowing which of their operations or functions are truly essential or strategically differentiating, so they're aware of what they can actually digitalize to slim down their organizations. I guess getting to this point can be difficult. So how does a bank take the first steps to critically take a step back and look at operations and get the buy-in and change the culture of their financial institution to make it all happen? Uh, thanks for having me here today. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think we acknowledge that it, it can be difficult, right? I think it's difficult to uh, identify what those functions may be. And then perhaps equally as important, how to message it within the organizations, right? Because delivering a message to a function that they are not critical or not necessarily differentiating um, can be often demotivational, right, or, or, or work against uh, the objectives of trying to actually improve the organization's efficiency or customer experience they deliver, right? But I think there are a couple of methods that we've seen uh, banks globally sort of adopt that can be employed. Um, I think some of it just starts with some really basic things, right? Start listening, start questioning status quo. Um, ask a lot of intelligent questions that, you know, why have things been done this way? I think oftentimes, we found within organizations that uh, folks just go along with business processes that may be put in place a long time ago uh, or ways of thing working that have been just there for a long time, but not stop to ask that, like, does this still make sense today, right? And it's sort of that intelligent questioning challenge function that can really start to identify, you know, are there capabilities that really could be done elsewhere to free up capacity, right? I think the conversation is not all about cutting capacity necessarily. It's about repurposing to say, where do we create the most value within the within the walls of the bank versus where can a partner help? And I think um, some of the inspiration can come from like digital first or even FinTech organizations, right? Where uh, often many of them have a culture of constantly rethinking status quo, right? They're not necessarily uh, wedded to previous approaches or previous uh, ways of doing things. And having that mindset allows an organization such as a bank to say, how do we actually go out to the market and say, who are partners? Who are suppliers? Who can we work with? What are their best ideas? How can they help us say, you know what, this area really makes sense for us to take on because we can, we can do it uh, not only more efficiently, but then sort of show you ways how you can use that technology to repurpose um, those areas so that the bank can do them even better themselves. I think that, you know, when you're thinking about those things, the banks need to really break it down between ideas of, you know, the things that are more paper oriented and bringing those, you know, into making those digitalized versus figuring out the more complex things that I would imagine are 
much harder to get to the point of thinking of making digital, which would be, you know, actual business, business processes, biz, things that involve business decisions. Uh, do you find that to be the case? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. There, there's a difference between doing work and then doing quality work, right? I think oftentimes organizations, either because of capability, technology, or processes, have folks doing work that is very manual or repetitive nature, where if you step back and say, you know, this, if we change the way this works, we could probably automate this. And then that same person can go and do something more fulfilling or more something that creates tangible value for the customer, right? So for example, if it's reviewing a, a transaction or reviewing an application within the bank, there are aspects of it that are probably better off done um, in an automated fashion. And then that frees up the person to, to really focus on something that might be a little bit more customer facing, for example, right? And then that drives more fulfillment even from doing the task. How do, you, how do you figure out return on investment? Because ultimately, I mean, I've spoken to so many bankers, it's hard to believe. And when they talk about automation and applying it to whatever front or back end of the, the operation they might be thinking of applying it to, there's often a disconnect between, you know, what the actual return on investment is. And, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, we assume that there's a return on investment here. We think it'll be X. But, you know, when they re when they actually forecast it versus when they actually look at it, the numbers are often different. How do you get a better sense of that return on investment? No, that is a common sort of struggle, right? I think there's a couple of things that can be done. One is pursue like an iterative approach to get there so that you can sort of test and learn, right? I think often if um, a business case or some determination of the ROI is done at the onset and then it's not necessarily um, updated later or the approach is not adjusted to say, okay, how is this working, not working? Because oftentimes, you know, an, an initiative may not work or it may not deliver the outcomes you need. Um, so if you go and update that along the way, that helps. If you change, if you're flexible to change the approach, that helps. And then also, even when thinking about the ROI, there's, there is an efficiency component to that ROI, but increasingly we're finding the banks are looking at two other measures that can improve ROI, right? One is, what does this do for the CX or the customer experience? And what does that do in terms of like top line, right? Are we getting better um, sort of outreach uh, from a marketing efforts coming out of that? Or are we able to convert customers better because we made this the process smoother? Uh, and then the third one is really, um, does this help mitigate any sort of loss or uh, other risk uh, sort of oriented um, KPIs or metrics, right? So then that way the, the RI can be much more holistic because if it's, if it's only on cost, then that may not be enough. Yeah, I think what you made, uh, you said is an important point because I think referencing back to your report, you're talking about, you know, other industry sectors that have been much more successful in speeding up customer transactions and using automation to do it, whether it's pharmacies, retail, fast food, and other service companies. But, you know, I think obviously banks are playing catch up. But I'm wondering, you know, what's the holdup for banks? I mean, has it just been being wedded to legacy systems and the costs that, you know, that banks face? Is it, you know, regulation of the industry? Or do you think that, you know, the customer experience is a much different one and the transaction and the, the even the, the, the way that banks say they want to relate to their customers is much different than 
what might happen between you know fast food establishment or retailer and their customer. Yeah, I think it's a confluence of factors, right? I mean, there's multiple drivers for that. I think in many ways, banking uh, may be catching up, but I think also banking is ahead at the same time. And what I mean is that if I take retail or uh, you know, quick service restaurants or fast food, anything related to that. I think um, some of the learnings happened last year during the pandemic. And for that, it was much more of a drastic nature of the shift, right? I think for some of those industries, there was an almost overnight shuttering of stores and, and cutting off all in-person interaction. And so it was very hard to just even move forward with the basics, right? Like if your dining room was closed or the store had to be closed, how do you uh, serve right food or, or or fulfill a shopping trip versus in that sense, you know, banking has been ahead, right? That uh, online banking has existed for a long time. Mobile banking um, is getting scale and pretty much handles a lot of the basic everyday banking. So in that sense, there wasn't that immediate business continuity risk. But I think the challenge you have with banks versus some other sectors is that um, there needs to be more active managing of like the consumer's receptivity for self-service and digital, right? They Customers do use digital. They like mobile banking and all of that. I mean, I think that fares really well. But when we when Carney has done consumer surveys, it shows that even though bank, um, consumers look for those high-tech capabilities, they still also consider what's the proximity of a branch location, right? When they decide which bank they want to choose. In many ways, it's almost like a safety blanket Consumers say, look, you, you, it's non-negotiable. You have to have a good website. You have to go to a mobile app. But I may want a, a, a branch nearby. Um, and so that I think that weighs a little bit, right, on trying to just make that big shift to say everything should go self-service. I think to your point about regulations, um, regulations do have you know, their place. But I think what's also important is that banks need to really sort of manage and think about privacy and security. Right when they do digital digital solutions, and it's not just because you know financial um, transactions are at play. It also has to do with the position that consumers hold of their bank. Right, I think when Carney has done consumer surveys, when we ask, right, so who do you trust? Who do you who do you trust to like safeguard your information, and who do you trust to provide your personal information to? Um, to no surprise, I mean, banks banks rise to the top, and you know banks and some other payment companies, they, they beat out a lot of other companies that consumers regularly interact with, right? And so I think banks banks are aware and they, they know they, they can't sort of do ill will, right, on that trust. They've, they've earned that trust over a long time. They need to maintain it. And so that's why banks can't just necessarily pivot and, um, uh, you know, push things uh, online or digital without thinking about the safeguarding of the, the data and the privacy implications. And then I think also the, the the challenge here is if I'm going in and or getting a drive-through cup of coffee, right? That's not necessarily a high-touch interaction. Um, in banking, there are a fair amount of interactions that need to be high-touch, right? There, there's a component of like advice. It's not very transactional. And I think the technology needs to catch up. Consumers need to catch up in terms of how do you make that smart choice of you know what what can be digital and self-service and what needs a human to intervene, right? Like where does it make sense um, to, to introduce a little bit more human to human connection? I think the one thing where I think your, your report mentions that 
digital uh, mortgage lenders now sit on the lion's share of mortgages, you know. So at least for that, customers are really embracing, you know, digital mortgage lenders. I think you mentioned Divi, Morty Rocket, uh, Rocket, you know, a number of other ones, and they've taken a lead on traditional banks. How can banks com- compete on this front? You know, what are they doing wrong and how can they make it right? Yeah, no, mortgage is a great example. And I think it's also a tale of two different customers, right? Building off the point that we were just talking about self-service versus high touch. I think if you look at the mass mortgage uh, market, right? So more traditional conventional loans, um, then yes, there a lot of these digital first lenders or fintech lenders, what have you, they've, they've done well for themselves. Uh, but I think if you look at jumbo loans, and sort of the higher end of the market, um, their presence is still muted, right? And I think that speaks to, in that market, there's more complex set of needs. There's more need for high touch. So they haven't been successful, but in the mass market, what are they doing right? And I think there's a couple of things, right? What they've done is they've focused on saying, how do we just not be beholden to the current process, right? So for, for those who have gotten a mortgage, it's not instant, right? I mean, if I go to a bank's website and I apply for a credit card, uh, for most customers, you can get an instant decision, right? Right then and there, they'll tell you about the credit card or not. The mortgage experience is not quite there yet. It can take 30 days, 45 days, 60 days sometimes to close. And in this whole real-time world, that can be confusing for customers, right? So it says like, I'm in a world where things can be delivered to me next day, same day, everything's real-time. Why does this work this way? Um, I think of, you know, some of the newer vendors and sort of fintechs, et cetera, they're trying to say, how do we take out all the manual steps out of the process, right? There, there are steps where, you know, customers are asked to fill out paper forms or even digital forms. There's data that needs to be collected. That takes time. There's manual appraisals that have to be done of the property. There's more and more thought that says, how do we automate that, right? Can I pull income data automatically? Can I, can I use other data sources to triangulate? Can I do an appraisal? Uh, virtually, if I, if, I, if I need one, right? So can I use e-signatures so I'm not FedExing a document to somebody, right? So the, these are some of the, maybe sound basic, but some of the steps that are being taken that's crashing the cycle. And I think that's what people like, right? And some of the lenders have taken the process and almost completely banished paper out of it, right? Everything's online. They can do e-signatures, all of that. And I think that's what consumers are sort of gravitating to, right? They're saying, look, I, I, I like this. Uh, new way of doing it. Yeah. So, but let's jump back to, you mentioned the pandemic and I've heard this quite often that the pandemic highlighted all the things that banking organizations were getting wrong and what they needed to digitize. Do you think that, yeah, first off, why? And second of all, do you think the lessons learned from the pandemic are necessary, have really been learned by banks and that they're really rethinking, you know, what they need to make digital first? Yeah, I think, I think some of it came down to just basics of how do you get the work done, right? So for example, if I look at the domain of B2B payments, a lot of those were done with checks. The way it worked was banks had staff go in and they pick up the checks and process them. Well, when folks were working from home, that became a problem, right? Um, and even though it's very basic, they were like, well, how do I actually process this paper? Or even on the other side where corporates have to work with the banks, they would shuffle paper around 
They said, well, I can't do that anymore because I don't have staff going in, in there or, you know, I'm having trouble with uh, delivery services or what have you. And I think it was almost that very basic realization that said, yeah, this process has worked for us. These payment methods have worked for us, but they don't work anymore. Um, uh, and in an increasingly remote sort of driven world, um, it's hard to push around paper versus electrons, right? Um, and so I think it's these basic things that highlighted that and said, okay, like this is a real risk to our business. Uh, and I think that's why now banks and other organizations started looking at that and say, how do we, how do we actually not only digitize, right? Which is step one, which is maybe taking the paper and just turning it into a, a PDF or something like that, right? But then actually truly digitalize, which is take that and really just say, can we have a digital process end to end, right? And that's why we're seeing some momentum behind not only automation tools, which is sort of saying, can we can we actually get documents to originate electronically, right? Whether it's an invoice or or something else. Now, working with all those vendors and obviously banks, you know, I've talked to banks and oftentimes they might be working with 40, 50 different vendors, you know, for a variety of functions on the front end, back end or whatever. Uh, you mentioned the need to co-design uh, in your report and not just sort of hand over uh, the work to the vendor, whatever they might be working on, you know, whether it, I don't know, it's credit decisioning, you know, KYC, it could be anything, you know, automating, you know, like you said, Eve signature or what have you, you know, how, how can banks work on a more collaborative basis when, you know, essentially I would imagine they're just looking to the vendor to offload work. No, that, that's true. And I think it requires a little bit of a mindset shift that we were talking about earlier, right? It's, it's, it's not throw it over the fence, right? You can't just say here are a couple of requirements or, or leave it to the vendor to just solve. It purely requires having the openness to say, this is how things are done. What are the best practices that the market can bring, what a, a vendor supplier can bring? And then, as we say, co-design, which means creating something that you're making to buy, right? Which is a different concept. I mean, typically when outsourcing is done, folks may have some requirements and they're essentially buying what the vendor can offer. I think this is a little bit of, no, let's let's build something that recognizes my uniqueness and differentiating aspects where they exist and actually make something that's for me with the bank. And when when we do that, that's where we see the creativity really taking off and the bottom line impact, right? Because now both sides are not sort of beholden to their existing technology or processes or platforms are both sort of taking the best of both so to speak and bringing it together right and that but that that requires a different way of thinking it requires and a thought process that you know what maybe the other side actually has a better way of doing this than the way i've been doing it but, but when you have these multiple partners you have to think about cross-partner integration and management how is that accomplished effectively Yes, and I think that requires almost like a new organization structure, right? What we've what we've um, seen banks do, and we term it sort of like a notion of like almost an operating factory or uh, something like that, which is you you essentially ring fast and create an operations organization that can look at things end to end, right? The notion of can't look at things by product or just by line of business or linear vertical, you got to go horizontal. And what that does is that allows them 
that dedicated organization to manage multiple vendors. Because to your point, it, it takes some effort. I mean, managing vendors and sort of having this cross-learning matters. But what we do in that organizational construct is work with banks to create a top layer that can actually really serve to do that orchestration and figure out, you know, where do vendors need to work together? Where do different parts of the board need to work together? So you can get that cross-partner coordination and then delegate the actual day-to-day task down to the vendor or to that particular, you know, in-house part of the organization so that they can excel on doing the day-to-day work. But there's actually a dedicated layer or team that's thinking expressly about cross-partner, right? Otherwise, what happens is it sort of becomes an afterthought um, and then may not be done well, right? If there's so no dedicated team or focus on it. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. I want to thank you once again, Hamel, for joining me today. That wraps up this episode of The Buzz. Thanks for listening. And please let us know how we're doing at bankautomationnews.com. And of course, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again, listeners.